All right, everybody, welcome back to the Surely You Can't Be Serious podcast. We are here for part two of our comparison between Highlander and Flash Gordon. I am in my skull hat with big black mohawk and erector set sword, and Jason is in his skin-tight t-shirt with his own name across the front of it. That's right. Jason (laughs) Galvin, co-host, Surely You Can't Be Serious. (laughs) All right, this episode is brought to us by Alan Husted. I think I'm pronouncing that right. I do know that he's a big LA Dodgers fan. Right. He found us on Twitter and communicates with us there, and he is our Patreon for this page. We really appreciate the contribution, Alan. It really means a lot to us. Can't explain to us what it means. Um, Just your support, both financially and being there to talk to us on Twitter is awesome. Thank you very much for doing that. If you would like to be an executive producer for one of our episodes, just go to our Patreon page. There are different levels that you can join up on, but even at only $5 a month, you become an executive producer for us. Okay. Let us jump into production for these two movies. Great. Okay. So to start off with Flash Gordon, you have Clytus and Ming talking to each other. Clytus, I'm bored. About this planet called... An obscure body in the SK system, Your Majesty. The inhabitants refer to it as the planet Earth. Earth. And they say... Earth, Earth. Like, like they've never heard, like it's like a distinct, like I've never heard of this. And then three seconds later, he's pressing a button that literally says earthquake. <laughs> what? What? Hey, how did you never hear of this? And you've got a button that has it right there. It's on the there. same reason they speak English in another universe. It no, just, that is no. the way it works. And he has a button that says typhoon and a button that says hurricane. That's one button. Hey, that is one, but those are the same thing. You haven't even talked about the button that says hot hail. Hot hail, you know, hail that's hot. Well, <laughs> it's because it's a lot scarier than cold hail, you know? Yeah, right. <laughs> yeah, Caleb, I watched this with Caleb, like I said, and he was just like, what is hot hail? I don't know, son. Fire hot- and brimstone, I no, guess. Here's the deal. Hot <laughs> hail is debris from the moon that's off by 12 degrees. Oh, my word. All right. So the beginning, yes, you have the Clytus on board. What plaything do you have to offer me today? And then you have that pump and queen. Boom, 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 boom. And when it pounds into cl- Flash, I'm like, Let's freaking go. Yep, let's rock and roll. Because Queen can make some freaking great intro songs. Yeah. But here's one of the things that bothers me, okay, about the intro to Flash. We're we're talking about Flash the movie. Yeah. Okay. This is a small thing, and I know this is weird for me to probably nobody else thinks about this. Flash Gordon's on vacation. He's also listening to football games. Okay. What professional quarterback goes on vacation during football season? Okay, so here's here's the weird thing for me. Yeah. This is further on in the movie, of course. When Ming ultimately gets impaled with the ship. We're moving there already, right? He slides off. Yes. And what color is his blood? Blue. And earlier in the movie, his daughter is being whipped. (laughs) What color is her blood? Red. Why (laughs) does the daughter bleed red and the dad bleed green or blue or whatever? It doesn't make any sense. (laughs) I don't know the answer to that question. Oh, my gosh. So, anyway. So part of the craziness that occurred during production, we mentioned before, was 
the Daninello Daninardi, who had all these weird things that he wanted to do, included the mask that would move, move for Clytus. It included a 50-pound bridal dress for Melody Anderson and the wings for the Hawkman. They didn't move. <laughs> Like they were rigid, like they couldn't sit down because the wings would smash against the floor. So they had to lie on their stomachs. This is 1980, right? Yes. 1980. Yes. And so they've got these Hawkmen that they've got to do this flying scenes for. So what they do is they go to Superman, the guys that did Superman and him flying so that they get they could get it where you... Wait a minute, I'm sorry. No, they didn't do that. They went <laughs> to the guy who did the flying monkeys in the Wizard of Oz like 50 years earlier. What? Yes. Oh. They did not. I'm like, what? Why did you go to that guy? Why Why would you go to the guy who made the movie before like color movies existed instead of going to the guys that just made the movie that made you to believe a man could fly? Now that you say that, they did look like flying monkeys. <sighs> well, hey, here's one thing that they got right, though, yeah. okay? Yeah. Let's give it up. Special effects wise, everything else, including Star Wars, yeah. space is black with white stars. Yeah. They made these unbelievably cool, colorful, yeah. rich background skies, what they made by dumping color dye in water and watching it swirl. Yeah. The way they did it, like you said, they had different weights and colors for these inks and they would shoot them at like really high speed, like a lot of frames per second so that they could slow down the blending of the colors and it looks like these rainbow colored clouds slowly moving across the sky. And then they look amazing. They look really cool. Can we just pause and put the flag at half mast, put your hand over your heart for our buddy Munson who <laughs> played Porkins <laughs> in Star Wars and death. the top men guy in Raiders of the Lost Star. You didn't die in that one. And Eckhart. Detective Eckhart. In 89 Batman. Did die in that one. <laughs> Munson makes a run for the hills before, you know, Zarkov tries to make him get on the ship. He's threatening him with a gun. <laughs> get in the ship or I'm going to shoot you. <laughs> You're crazy. I'm out of here. Yeah. And then Flash Gordon squishes him with the airplane. <laughs> <laughs> Completely accidental. However, Flash takes out Munson. Sorry, Munson. <laughs> our, our good friend William Hootkins the third. Here's the other thing that's a little weird. Yeah. Dr. Zarkov builds a rocket in the middle of a greenhouse. Yeah. Okay. Which yeah. is a little far fetched, although Elon Musk basically is doing the same thing. <laughs> okay. But the rocket ship can't be operated alone. You gotta have two people because somebody's gotta press the freaking red lever. I yes, that was my that was my thought as well. I'm like, <laughs> You are a single guy. By yourself, you make a ship capable of going into outer space, but it can't work <laughs> unless you have two people operating. Push the red lever. <laughs> Listen, I love these movies, yeah. okay? Yeah. But apparently, when you take off into space and you go to Mongo, it's kind of like a wet dream because <laughs> this is erotic. Melody Anderson could barely keep her clothes on inside the rocket ship. Uh-huh. And they're all passed out, they're sweaty, and they're having... It's very erotic. And the rocket ship is very phallic. It's very phallic. <laughs> and then, of course, when they get to Mongo, Ming pulls out his magic ring, 
and hypnotizes her to do this magic erotic dance, which is weird. Yeah. Until you find out that Dino De Laurentiis told Lorenzo Simple, hey, how's the script going? Pretty good. I got my buddy Bob Guccione over here. Why don't you ask him for some ideas? Bob Guccione, the guy who created Penthouse Magazine, he had some input into Flash Gordon. (laughs) (laughs) Brian Blessed talks about the fact that Dino De Laurentiis would show up on the set show up on the set and he scared the crap out of everyone and finally mike hodges had enough and he was like off off we can't nobody could do anything with you here you got to stand off I don't think you tell Dino De Laurentiis to F off. I just don't think you do that. Okay, I've got two Star Wars Indiana Jones uh, connections I want to talk about real quick. Okay. All right. In the movie Flash Gordon, Prince Baron, I believe, runs up to this guy who's got the special eye goggles on and he rips him off and it's this kind of grotesque wires coming out of his eye sockets. Yes. Freaked me out as a kid. Yeah. Okay. And that guy Mm -hmm. is actually the same guy who played Lobot in The Empire Strikes Back, the guy who has that weird robot ear thing on, who's Lando Calrissian's right-hand man. Yep. But the guy at the beginning, they're all making their offerings to Ming. And the guy from Ardentia who stands up and says, since you blasted our kingdom into atoms, we've had nothing to offer but our loyalty. Oh, yeah. It's the guy. It's Captain... It's Katanga. Captain Katanga. From Raiders of the Lost Ark. Yes. But what I really wanted to talk about, I've been waiting to talk about. Tell me. One of my favorite parts in the movies, and this is one I get jabbed at. Like, people make fun of this part. Yeah. The football scene... So it's, it was supposed to be just a regular old brawl. And Sam Jane Jones is like, well, wait a minute. He's a football player. Yeah. This ought to be like a football fight. And they had the eggs that they were going to present as like the offering to Ming. Perfect football. It was great. And they play that, that cool queen football fight song. Yeah. And then Melody Anderson jumps in and starts cheerleading. Go, Flash, go. It's go, Flash, go. It is a bit absurd. It's absurd, but he's <laughs> launching footballs at the bad guys. Clytus gets in trouble by Ming because he's not giving, keeping him on the right pills or whatever. <laughs> and Topol is like, you know, the, the guy who keeps shotgun snapping it to him until he hits him right in the head with one and then knocks him out. Okay, let's flip back to Highlander. Let's talk about the movie, the actual movie Highlander for a minute. Okay, so... You've got this guy who's directing music videos to direct this movie. He has got his own way of doing it. And in my opinion, turns out fantastic. Can I just talk for just a second about three of the coolest transition scenes in any movie from the 80s? You've got, number one, you've got the garage transition scene where somehow they move, the camera moves up through the ceiling of this garage and peeks out over the top of the Scottish Highlands. How did they do that? It's freaking amazing. It is freaking amazing. The transitions are shockingly good. And then you have this moment later on when he gets kicked out of the clan and Connor McLeod falls in exhaustion against a rock and suddenly his face transitions into the Mona Lisa picture that's on the side of the building in New York City. It's amazing. And then transition number three, there are probably more of them, but these are the ones that jumped out at me. We pan in through the window of Connor McLeod's New York City apartment. He's sharpening his sword 
he hears something and turns back and looks behind him at the aquarium. And as he looks at the aquarium, the camera goes into the aquarium, then rises up and suddenly we're looking at the top of the water where they're on a lake in Scotland again and Ramirez is lessening McLeod on how to balance, balance, balance. It's a very con- a karate kid type of shot right there. It is. I mean, I mean, he's the, he's the Mr. Miyagi character, but that transition scene was incredible. The transitions, they're amazing. I mean, this is before CGI. This is, this is one of the end of the practical effects movies, which, you know, you can tell, uh, like with some of the electricity things and the wires, you catch some of those things. It's 1986 and they had a limited budget. Yes. And, and I'm willing to forgive some of that. Like in, when they're doing the quickening when like they're absorbing the, mm-hmm. the power, yeah. there's some weird animated character ghost looking things. That yeah. Look they're like, doing cell animation because yeah. they didn't have computers that could go right. and do stuff. And I, they get a pass for me on that. Right. Yeah, for sure. And it was, I mean, I, th- I thought it was pretty good. I thought it was pretty cool. Yeah. You mentioned that Lake mm-hmm. Sean Connery's character rocks the boat uh-huh. and Christopher Lambert's character, McLeod's like, stop rocking the boat. I can't swim, you stupid haggis, right? <laughs> right. So Sean Connery gets mad enough at him that he tumps him out of the boat on purpose. Uh-huh. He can't swim. Right. He falls to the bottom of the lake yeah. and realizes, I can't die. It's one of the, the revelations to the character where he comes to realize. He almost giggles underwater. <laughs> <laughs> He's breathing in water and cannot die. Yeah. So it's a, it's a pivotal scene in the movie. When he was filming that scene, they were actually filming it at a Scottish lock, right? Yeah. So Christopher Lambert said, the first time it's a surprise, right? You think the water's going to be cold, and then you're like, yeah, this water's cold, this right? This water's way colder than I thought it was going to be. You thought it was going to be cold, but not that cold. Right. The second time, you know it's going to be freezing. The third time, you say, that's the last time we're doing this. Yeah. <laughs> That's <Yeah>. the last take. <laughs> but then he comes up and he comes out of the water and he has the fish fall out of his kilt, right? Yes. Well, his kilt was too short. They take this like pipe and they funnel these live trout through the pipe. So they're flipping around on the ground <laughs> whenever they fall out of his kilt. Here's another camera scene that I was just blown away with that I just, I had to stop and go, how the heck did they do this in 1986? The beginning scene when he's at the wrestling match... They have the camera pan through the auditorium above everybody else. They didn't have drones back right, then. Right, right. How the crap did they do this? Isn't it like on those wires? I- yes. So the guy, the guy's name is Garrett Brown. He's the guy who invented the Skycam, which is what they use, what they use in football games now, but this is what they use to do that scene, which is a camera that's on cables that they control with a computer. And that's how they get it up. All right. Before we dive in and start breaking apart the movie section of Highlander, I just want to give a quick shout out to my buddy, Brandon Hosselton. He is a friend of mine, friend of the show. He always listens to the podcast, gives me feedback. I really appreciate him. This is his all-time favorite movie. Like Highlander is top of the heat for him. He has declared it the perfect movie. He sees a lot of biblical imagery between the Kurgan and McLeod, right? Mm -hmm. The good guy and the bad guy chase each other across time and eventually they're going to fight. Yep. And who's going to win? I think that's a great hook for a movie. Absolutely. And the, you know, Queen, that part about the immortality, Queen was originally slated to just do one song for this movie. Just one song. But then they watched like 20 minutes of footage from the movie and were inspired to write several songs, which is why they basically end up with the whole soundtrack themselves. 
but Brian May was inspired by that idea of living forever, meaning you're going to lose everyone you love over and over again, which is what inspired him to write the song, Who Wants to Live Forever? Great song. He's singing the first lines of that song. Did you know that? Really? Yeah, that's Brian May singing the first lines of the song. He sings the first verse and Freddie Mercury comes in for the second verse. Really? Yes. So Highlander does not have a an official soundtrack, okay? Right. However, Queen has an album called A Kind of Magic. Yes. Came out in 86. On this album, you have a song called A Kind of Magic. Right, which is a line from the movie. It's what he says to Rachel twice. Yes. As he rescues her as a little girl from the German. And she's like, you're not dead. And he's like, it's a kind of magic. And then when he tells her he's not going to see her again, last thing he says to her is it's a kind of magic. Which, side note, they cut the German scene from the American release which means that when he says that last line to her of it's kind of magic as he's leaving on the elevator, it's the first time the American audience ever heard it and it didn't make a dang bit of sense. <laughs> so that, th- this is probably why the movie did not do as well in America is they cut some kind of critical stuff. That scene with the Germans really cool. It is. If yeah. you haven't seen it, if you're American and you haven't seen it, yeah. he rescues Rachel, who's his older woman secretary, yep. as a young girl from a Nazi killer and for many, many years serves him. Okay, so back to the soundtrack. You have A Kind of Magic. You have One Year of Love. You have a song called Who Wants to Live Forever, which we talked about. You have a song called Don't Lose Your Head. Then you have a song called Give Me the Prize, which is freaking awesome. It's Kurgan's theme. Yeah. And it's hard rock, and it's Give Me the Prize. And then you have Princes of the Universe. Here we are, born to be kings. Magic is really basically the soundtrack for Highland. Yeah. From the dawn of time we came, moving silently down through the centuries. The red text was supposed to be a place marker that they were supposed to replace or not have, but the producers thought, that actually looks pretty cool, let's keep that. And the audio track was something that Sean Connery did later. Production had wrapped, as we mentioned, and he said, oh, hey, we forgot to have you do this part. So he did it from his house in the bathroom. (laughs) (laughs) That's why you get the echo effect. He's in his toilet with a microphone recording the first lines of the movie. What you didn't hear was the flush after he finished recording. trying to record. (laughs) (laughs) Come on, Ralphie. I'm out here and gotta go. (laughs) So we go from... That intro by Mr. Connery himself into a crazy wrestling match, which was supposed to be an NHL game. Yes. The clacking of the sticks before the game was supposed to transition into the clanking of the swords, and that's what sparked his memory. Um, and so they went to the NHL, and the NHL said, no, we don't want hockey to be known as a violent sport. <laughs> Are you kidding me? <laughs> that's funny. <laughs> Here's the funny part about this. This is supposed to take place at Madison Square Garden, right? right? Yeah. Well... They're supposed to have this fight in the parking garage underneath Madison Square Garden. Right. Madison Square Garden doesn't have a parking garage. It does not have a parking garage underneath it. No, it doesn't. <laughs> this is actually shot in New Jersey. The the wrestling match was shot in New Jersey, where yes. the New Jersey Nets and I think the Devils play. The parking garage scene was shot in London. Yeah. 
That's the thing about this movie is like so many of the New York scenes are shot in London. They've got all kinds of tax breaks for being a London production. So most of your footage is actually shot overseas. You've got London, you've got Wales, you've got Scotland. Yep. So I want to talk about the the fight scene at the beginning of Highlander. Okay. Super cool. Queen, right into the action, right? Right. The, a wrestling match. Wrestling match, yep. We have the introduction of the character. He's walking in the parking garage. And you have this guy sneak up behind him and say, McLeod. A seal. Then they have this awesome, cool story. I fight. love that his first line is wait, and then it's too late. Fasil is ready to fight, and he's he's jumping in. It's kind of hard to be sympathetic to a guy who slices the head off of somebody else at the very beginning of a movie, unless his first line was, wait a minute, you know, and then it makes it okay. Okay. Go ahead. So the sword fight is awesome. There is some ridiculousness. The guy does 50,000 <laughs> back handsprings for no apparent reason. I literally, I looked at him like, is he still flipping? What is he? <laughs> why is he doing that? I don't know. That's weird. And you have... McLeod reaching for five minutes, the oh, sword under the car. It's building tension. Okay. And well, it also gets you a nice, good close-up of that samurai handle, which was really cool. It was cool. Here's what I wish they would have done. I like the idea that these immortals would have known each other over this long period of time. Uh-huh. It would have been cool to have him say, McLeod, it's me. We've been friends for a long time, but now's your day. I've come for your head. Yeah. Or don't announce yourself and try to take his head off without him even seeing, but instead he's behind him and says, McLeod. I think it has to be a fight. I don't think you can sneak up and kill people from behind. Why not? Because I think that's one of the rules. Let's talk about the rules for a second. The rules of a Highlander are the guy has to cut off your head for you to die. That's the only way you can die. Yes. Also, you can't fight on holy ground. Right. Now, the movie doesn't explore this very much, but as I understand it, the TV show did a little bit. Okay. So there's a scene at the end of the movie where the Kurgan and McLeod are in church. Right. And Kurgan is being a total jerk to the, the nuns and the priests and all Real that stuff. church, by the way. Yeah, and real nuns. Yeah, and they, like, the church really didn't want to do it, but they needed the money. Oh. <laughs> Isn't that terrible? And then he, like Clancy Brown, apologized to him after oh, the yeah, shot. Yeah. So, but they can't fight on holy ground. Right. Now, is that a rule or is that a tradition? They mentioned that it's tradition. The way that Sean Connery puts it, it sounds like it's like a, a rule that is a rule because they've put these rules in place themselves. Like, it's not like lightning is going to strike you dead if you try to fight in a church. It's just, hey, we've got guidelines and you don't break them. Right. Because... We just have a mutual respect as immortals. But the Kurgan doesn't seem to have respect for anybody or anything. But he has respect for the immortals' rules. Okay. He won't fight on holy ground either. Well, here, here's as I understand the TV show, McLeod's cousin, Duncan, Duncan McLeod, yeah. they were on holy ground and they start to fight and that lightning does start to flash. And uh-huh. so there's this idea that there is a higher power holding these guys accountable. Interesting. But that scene at the beginning, super cool. Very cool. And at the end? And, and I love that they somehow get the sprinklers going so they get the fight in the rain. And to listen to Russell McKay, he, talk, he just kind of laughs. He's like, I know it's absurd that they're fighting in a garage in the rain, but it looked cool. Yeah. Yeah. And all the car lights come on and they start honking and the windshields blow out. <laughs> and then a hubcap goes <laughs> Here's the absurd thing about that fight. So uh, I'm, I'm willing to go all in on all this stuff. Yeah. I'm in, right? Yeah. Super cool. Connor McLeod takes this guy's head, whoosh, clean swipe. Absolutely no witnesses. Nobody's there. 
He pulls out of the parking garage and the, the entire New York police department pulls him over. He hears the sirens, which makes him panic, which is why he puts the sword up. He's trying to get out before they get there. He takes Eddie Murphy's car from 48 Hours, which <laughs> really sucks because I think it's got like half a million dollars in the trunk. That's true. But they catch him coming out too fast. I mean, Speeding. This is the, the, and the whole NYPD pulls him over. Yes, somebody discovered a dead body. <laughs> <laughs> oh, by the way, called the uh, forensic slash sword specialist out here. Tell me what this is. A sword? <laughs> <laughs> Here's the other scene I want to talk about. Okay. This is where I'm trying to understand the rules, and they sometimes they kind of break their own rules. And so anyway, I'm just trying to understand. All right? Yeah. So McLeod, as a young man mm-hmm. in Scotland, yeah. they're going to have this fight between his clan and another clan. Hope he doesn't wet his kill. McLeod's a young, I think he's supposed to be like 18 or 19. He's a young guy. Yeah. Well, little do we know, but the Kurgan is fighting with the other clan. Right. And his deal is like, nobody fights McLeod but me. I get him. Connor. Connor. It's important that he says Connor because, because they're all the, McLeods. Thank you. <laughs> yes. Thank one, you. One name, Connor. Right. So they have this fight, which I think is ridiculous because he's chasing these guys around. He's like, fight me, you cowards. But nobody will fight him. <laughs> no, don't fight him. Which if you're not going to fight me, I'm still going to take your head. Fight me, you coward. Okay, well, you're dead. You're dead. Uh-huh. And then the Kurgan shows up. He's like, here I am, McLeod. Let's fight. And stabs him and he dies. Right. Well, he yeah. gets I mean, one stab in. He gets one stab in and he's about to behead him. And then the other guys, his compatriots his cousin his friend they run and tackle the kurgan and keep him and he says another day mcleod there can be only one yeah see that's ridiculous too it is a little the kurgan is there mcleod's on the ground i need to take his head i'm not going to let three smelly haggises take me from the prize Uh uh-huh okay he stabs him i believe it's haggai haggai (laughs) (laughs) he stabs him and mcleod dies Uh right just a little yeah okay Flash forward like an hour into the movie. The Kurgan stabs a Marine through his back, picks him up, holds him for like 45 seconds, throws him, and the guy's in a hospital bed making sketch artists' uh, pictures for the... The operative word there is Marine. (laughs) You can't kill those guys, man. (laughs) All right, sorry. Yeah, that that dude was like, "What time's breakfast?" Right? I'm right. I'm totally fine. He was he was vigil he was vigilante number one on the New York streets that night. Which and then he unloaded a clip on the Kurgan. Yeah, he had five bullet holes in his shirt. Yep, and then he got up five minutes later. So does he not die? So I understand that they don't die, but do they die and resurrect? Yeah, I was going to say, my impression is is that the first time you die, you actually kind of go through the death process before you, you come back. But after you've died a few more times, you're just better at getting better. <laughs> okay. All right. All right. That's fine. Uh, it, I, from what I understand in the novelization... Like the Kurgan's dad is the one that killed him, like as a child, like as a young man, smashing his head with a rock or something and crushed his skull. Yeah. And then when he resurrected, he made his dad eat a hot coal. It's and that quite kills. a way to go. Yeah. Yeah. That would be unpleasant. Here's the other rule that we forgot to mention. Okay. The other rule yes. is that immortals can't have children, which I think that's okay. You know? It's interesting because. Gregory Wyden said that he had more emphasis on the rules in the script 
But apparently that wasn't one of the rules in the script because in the script he had 37 kids. Right. So they changed the rules and then disregarded them. And in the original script, there wasn't there wasn't like this prize at the end. There wasn't the idea of there can be only one. And so the conclusion of the movie where he he's mortal and he has perfect understanding and all of that stuff was something that they came up with later on and that he could have kids. That was something that they came up with through the production of the movie. So this is what Mike Hodges said, had to say about filming Flash Gordon. He said, I had a producer who spoke mangled English. I had a production designer who spoke none at all. Both, like Ming, seemed to have arrived from another galaxy. (laughs) Once I realized that the film was in many ways out of my control... I relaxed and I made it up as I went along. I loved it. He also said it's the only $20 million movie that was totally improv. (laughs) Give it up to Mike Hodges. Let's go back to Flash Gordon. After the football scene with Flash Gordon, he's executed. They don't even give him the dignity of being executed fully clothed. He has to be in his underwear. (laughs) Right? Right. So they execute Flash in his underwear. Dale is crying her eyes out. And Aura, Princess Aura, Ming's daughter, decides she's going to resurrect Flash for her own pleasure. Right. Aura is banging everybody in the universe. Kind of. We're the best looking ones. <laughs> <laughs> Once she revives Flash, yeah. she takes him back. She's got this idea. She's going to take him to Aboria, right? Mm-hmm. And that's when you have the telepathic, Yes. wow, this girl's really turning me on, right? What? <laughs> Here's the thing. Here's the thing with Flash Gordon that bugs me. Okay. Uh-huh. Yeah. I'm an old-fashioned guy. Yeah. If Flash is in love with Dale Arden, that's fine. Yeah. Okay. After knowing her for all of 30 minutes. 15 minutes. <laughs> right. He had a very erotic flight with her. Yeah. That they almost died on. What a way to build a relationship. <laughs> he gets there five seconds later. Means daughter is totally untrustworthy. Uh-huh. But she's, you know, hot. Super hot. <laughs> and it's kind of that question like never say never again. This girl might kill me. I'm still willing to take a chance. <laughs> uh but she brings him to Aboria where her other boyfriend, Prince Baron, yeah, is there. Okay? And he hates Flash because he's a competitor and Prince Baron and Flash are going to face off in this stump where the wood beast resides. Okay. Oh my This gosh, is the, the most wood beast. Yes. Yeah. This is the most tense scene in the movie to me. Uh-huh. And as a kid, it scared the crap out of me. Oh yeah. So for those of you who don't remember, there's no way you can't remember. You either didn't see the movie or that's true. Yeah. The, the most memorable scene. There's this animal that's kind of like a scorpion, like a green scorpion yeah, that lives in a tree. Kind of a stump. crab, slimy scorpion. And you reach your hand in. And you do it until somebody gets stung and they die. The delight on her face as she watches the kid get stung and then get killed. It's, yeah. She's messed up. All right. While this is going on, Dale Arden is back being prepared for her wedding. Right. Where she has to marry Ming for the hour. Right. right? But she escapes. So she's running down the hallways. (laughs) She has this really cool scene where she's got a, she's managed to get a gun and she's shooting at these guys in the red suits. Right. 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 But uh, so she's doing these gymnastics and shooting and she finally shoots one in the face. Right. <laughs> and when she shoots him, uh-huh. you have this big gas expulsion from the laser wound. Yeah. And Melody Anderson said that when they filmed that, that guy threw up. <laughs> <laughs> 
<laughs> because the smoke got and he breathed in the smoke and he had to rip his mask off and puke on the floor. So, oh my, classic, classic. Those guys are worse than stormtroopers. <laughs> I mean, talk about the most inept soldiers. How did this guy conquer the universe <laughs> with these guys at, as his army? That doesn't even make sense. Yeah, they were. Speaking bad. of things that does that don't make sense. You have these weird jumps in the story that you have no transition for. Like you think, okay, so number one, you think that Dr. Zorkov's brain has been drained, yes. right? Yes. And then Clytus tells, tells General Kala, don't get him past the level three. He leaves and she's like, level six. Now, oh, what's going on? What is the purpose of, you never know. Why, why did that happen? Right. What what was a level six? What did it mean? What, nothing. No explanation at all. And then you got Dr. Zartoff walking around like a zombie. You don't know if he's been lobotomized or not. He's suddenly with Dale. He's talking very sporadically. It's confusing. And then all of a sudden they're on a motorcycle ship and he's like, yep, I just fooled them all. And I'm like, what, what, where's the rest of the story here? What happened to that? That part was confusing. And then the same thing happens with Princess Hottie. Uh, Aura. Aura. Aurora Borealis. Uh, she comes back and suddenly she's being whipped with a cat of nine tails. We don't have time for exposition. Not the boar worms. The boar worms. You talk about my imagination running wild. Because they don't tell you what they were. Exactly. <laughs> no explanation. Which makes them cool. Oh, my gosh. They, they sound horrible. They sound like the thing from Star Trek, the, the little earwig things that they'd stick in your each brain. That's what they are to you. That's what they are. Uh, so then let's just talk about the awesome music that comes in on the battle sequence. Okay. Oh, man. Yeah, this is freaking awesome, man. The whole thing is awesome. So this, again, Queen is the soundtrack on this one, but they weren't who they wanted originally. Right. Originally, they wanted Pink Floyd. And as the click track, if you will, for the whole wedding ceremony, they were playing Shine On You Crazy Diamond for the whole scene. Like, you watch. So I want to go back in and, like, put in that music that and just see awesome. what, what, what it looks like when people are walking around to that song because that's what they were listening to when they were filming it. That would be awesome. And the music is very, it has a very Pink Floyd type of feel to it, even though it is Queen. It has a very Pink Floyd kind of feel to it. Yeah, I totally agree. I totally agree. Okay, so one scene I want to talk about in Flash Gordon. Flash and Baron end up being carried by the Hawkman back to the Hawkman capital, which looks a lot like Cloud City. Right? It looks like Bespin from Empire Strikes Back. Right. Okay. And they decide, we're going to fight. Voltan puts him on this revolving disc, throws him a couple of bullwhips, and if you fall off the disc, you fall into space, plus there's spikes. And as a kid, I was like, this is so cool. Yeah. Baron and Flash fight. Right. And as Baron is about to fall off to his death, Flash saves him. Yep. And that's the part where the whole movie flips. Yeah. And Prince Baron says, where you go, I will follow Right. That's when they, they talk Volton into, join us, we're going to overthrow me. Right. It's awesome. Oh, yeah, for sure. Flash's morality is his superpower. He doesn't have any ultra strength or super speed or x-ray vision. He doesn't have any of that. What he's got, 
He doesn't have immor- <laughs> immortality. He has humanity and morality. Yeah. He's a great guy. Yeah. So now we've talked about Queen. Yes. Both of these movies had composers as well. Wow. Okay. So Flash had an original composer. I don't even remember what his name was. Apparently he was so inebriated the whole time that he wrote about 30 seconds worth of usable music. And and so they were freaking out. They bring in Blake Howard to write music theme music, you know, underlying score for the movie that the Queen hasn't done. Yeah. And he gets to work, and he has to have it done in 10 days. We're talking about an entire score in 10 days. Anyway, he writes nonstop. Nonstop. Finishes it in time, and then passes out. (laughs) And they can't wake him. And eventually they have to, like, give him an injection of something to get him to come out of it. And his wife is like, do you know what day it is? And he's like, yeah, it's Monday. And she says, no, it's Friday. Wow. You have been asleep this whole time. And the doctor's like, you've got double pneumonia in both of your lungs. Like he had nearly killed himself writing the score to this movie. And when they, you know, finally revive him and tell him all this stuff, he goes, well, I feel fine. (laughs) (laughs) And then of course, To go back to Highlander, we have our friend... Michael Kamen. You will remember, wrote the music for both Die Hard and Lethal Weapon. Yes. But he was working very closely with Queen throughout this process. You know, one of the things I want to talk about, during that church scene, when McLeod and the Kurgan are talking, and the Kurgan's giving the nuns a hard time, and the priests and all this stuff. Right. At the end of it, he makes this big announcement. Yeah. I've got something to say. Yeah. It's better to burn out than to fade away. Right. Right. And that's actually from a Neil Young album. Right. Hey, hey, my, my. However, this movie was filmed in 1986. Yes. I'm wondering if he got that from Pyromania by Def Leppard. I have your answer. Yeah. What do you got? He got it from Pyromania. And the reason that, and I don't know this 100%. I haven't heard that. That that is where it came from. But what I do know is that the entire time that he wasn't shooting, he was listening to heavy metal on his headphones. And so there's no way he was listening to Neil Young. He came up with that line. That was like improv? It was an improv line. He wasn't in the script. He said that on his own. That was him. Maybe one of the most memorable lines in the whole movie. That was him improving that line. And I my I would bet $100 to one that he got it from Def Leppard. Did you know that Christopher Lambert did all of the dubbing for the French version of Highlander himself? Which goes into why it was such a big success overseas. One thing I want to mention about Flash Gordon, okay? Uh-huh. There was a whole dream sequence where Dale oh, yeah. was supposed to turn into this spider, this crazy spider character. Yeah. Like Ming had hypnotized Flash or something, and he was supposed to see Dale as this hideous spider person. Again, this is there's no script, and Dino, <laughs> Dino De Laurentiis decides that this is going to happen. And probably like while drinking Chardonnay the night before or something. Right. So Melody Anderson spent like six hours in the makeup. Yeah. Getting all spidered up. And Mike Hodges walks in and is like, wow, that looks really interesting. We're not shooting this at all. It has nothing to do with our movie. <laughs> right. She's like, what? <laughs> the other thing I want to talk about with Flash Gordon. Okay. And, and we'll get into post-production here in a second. But Flash Gordon's plan to save the earth is to kill me. If he kills me... That ends the attack on the Earth. Right. And he's got like two and a half minutes to do it. So what's he going to do? 
He hijacks the war rocket Ajax, <laughs> and he's going to crash it into the shield, uh-huh. and that would then cause the explosion. It would kill everybody, including Flash and Dale and Zarkov and everybody. Everybody. Right? Well, Zarkov pulls a Han Solo slash Return of the Jedi plan where he disengages the shield. So now the plan is out the window, right? Mm-hmm. Blowing up the war rocket to kill everybody in the wedding party out the window. Yeah. So now Flash is just going to crash the rocket right into smack dab into the middle of the wedding uh-huh. and just happens to hit Ming right dead center. Good aim. That to me is in one part amazing and one part ridiculous well that's the whole freaking movie man it is and i'm i don't care it is like it is like a high school musical that somebody got a million dollars to do the costume <laughs> i mean it's just crazy it's just crazy the stuff that they had all of it is it awesome is, it is awesome Our but friend, a lot of my awesome is nostalgia from being like a six-year-old kid watching this stuff i know if this really is i'm leaning on like fifth grade type of feelings here yeah but but let's, I mean, we are kind of moving into post-production on this. Yes. So I mentioned the success overseas of Highlander, and we've talked already. Neither one of these movies were a success in the U.S. when they first came out. So a lot of people, they didn't want what Flash Gordon was given. It was just over the top. And what they had just fell, fallen in love with was this monochromatic i mean black and white and gray stuff from star wars and so it did not sit well with the star wars conditioned audience at all okay unless you were like us and like seven six and seven yeah watching this thing yes yes are we moving into judgment here or well no it's just it's important to note that It wasn't a success. And Highlander was the same way. Like it came out and the first mistake that they made was they cut some crucial scenes. They cut the Kurgan licking the priest's hand. They cut the scene, the Nazi scene. It just, I mean, they took out the things that helped it make sense and helped you get some character on stuff. And then they gave us a poster. The original poster was a large black and white, very grainy, like he looked like he had leprosy or something, picture of Christopher Lambert's face. And it just said Highlander on it. It didn't say anything about being immortal. It didn't have any swords, nothing to give you any information about what this movie was about. And seeing a grainy black and white picture of this guy's face is not going to make me want to go watch this movie. Right. It was actually part two being announced and its success overseas that caused people to become interested. And it had its big success through video. And so when they went to France, suddenly they're like seeing Christopher Lambert treated like a rock star and everybody loves it in Europe because they've at, they've got those missing scenes in there. It makes sense. And they do a poster that has him. It's like the scene from the parking garage where he's got his arms out. You've got the Kurgan like silhouetted in the back and you get an idea of it being about immortals. And that's, I mean, that's why it got the success that it did. And Flash Gordon Fortunately, the guys who were our age at the time, some of them ended up being big time directors like Robert Rodriguez yes. and Seth MacFarlane, who, when he decided to make Ted, which is the movie with Mark Wahlberg and a teddy bear that's vulgar and inappropriate, voiced by Seth MacFarlane, he had this dream that you know, that Sam Jones was going to be in it as this kind of over-the-top caricature of himself. And Sam Jones 
agreed to do it. They're flying on a rocket cycle. <laughs> flying blind on a rocket cycle? Flying blind on a rocket cycle? Gordon's alive. <laughs> okay. So you want to talk about Sam Jones for a minute? We need to talk about, this is the most interesting and yet sad part of the movie. Kind of heartbreaking. Yeah. So they started the production and Sam Jones came in in injured from a bar fight he had been in the night before. Yes. He was from different accounts, kind of a prima donna or emotionally immature during the shooting of this movie. And they broke right around Christmas time. He went back to the States and when it was come, it was time to come back to finish some final scenes and post-production stuff. His representation told him not to go, and he listened to them. And that was probably the worst mistake he made as far as his career goes. Absolutely. In fact, I didn't really understand this. I'd kind of heard rumblings about this. 90% or more of his lines were dubbed over by another actor. That actor's name is Peter Marinker. Uh-huh which has kind of been a secret up until recently. Yeah. But uh, it was heartbreaking for him and really just kind of a dumb kid move. You know what I mean? Yeah. I'm going to take on Dino De Laurentiis. Oh, wait, I got fired. He couldn't go on The Tonight Show and he couldn't go on these things to sell the movie and make it successful. Right. And right. therefore, we got part two and part three canceled. So interestingly, let's talk about the end real quick. You've got the, the ring. <laughs> Yes. Sitting there. Yes. And the black gloved hand comes to pick it up. And a question mark comes up. As the, to end. the end. Question Bam. mark. Yeah. Right. And so is that Clytus's hand? That is the rumor that it's Clytus's hand. Because the actor who played Clytus, Peter Wingard, did not want to die. Yes, that's he right. Did not like when it came time to shoot his death scene, he came and he's like, you know, Clytus is a very important character. I don't think we should kill him. And they're like, but, but but that I mean that's what the script that's, yeah. that's what script says. He's, and he's like, but he I really feel like that there are more movies lined up, and I think he would be an important. And suddenly Brian Blessed is jumping in. He's like, you die, <laughs> you bloody well die, <laughs> go die, die. <laughs> <laughs> Brian Blessed, awesome. Hey, I've got something that that was gonna blow you away. Okay, okay? yeah. Do you know who designed the logo for Flash Gordon? The no. the like the little Saturn looking thing? Yeah, no. Freddie Mercury. Get out of town. Yes. He is an artist what? and he came up with that. Oh. And they that's went with it. Fantastic. Freddie Mercury. Is fantastic. So no part two. No so part two. interestingly, interestingly, Flash Gordon, you have a movie that had nearly had forty something years worth of history leading up to it. And then suddenly it's off the radar after this movie comes out, right? Right. Almost nothing has happened with it since then. Yes, absolutely nothing. And then with Highlander, which didn't perform well, you get five sequels and a series and a cartoon. And I mean, there's all kinds of stuff that bloomed from this thing, which originally was a flop at the box office. It's crazy. It's it's still, I mean, there's still talk about the reboot of Highlander and there's talk about a reboot of Flash Gordon as well. One of the directors, and this is, this is the thing, one of the directors for an animated version of Flash Gordon is Taika Waititi. Okay. Who did Thor Ragnarok. Yeah. Now I want you to think about Thor Ragnarok for just a second. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. Both based on comics. 
Yep. The hero arrives at a foreign world and is immediately shocked. Flash Gordon and Thor both, uh-huh. right? Uh-huh. And then you have, at the beginning of Flash Gordon, people asking for his autograph. Whenever he is in New York City with Loki, the girls come up asking for his autograph. Uh, You get a death match with a guy in green and a guy who is green. You get, (laughs) I mean, just think about it. Think about all these things. You ultimately team up with a girl and a doctor to fight the evil overlord who rules the world. I mean, you just look at the graphics at the beginning of both of the movies and they're very 80s. Yeah, they are. One was made in the 80s and one was made to look like it was in the 80s. They both steal like a flying vehicle. They both have a guy who gets his eyes ripped out. (laughs) Yeah. And then it ends with both of them with a bald guy getting stabbed through the torso. Holy cow. Thor Ragnarok is Flash Gordon. (laughs) I think that Taika Waititi is the perfect guy to be directing the Flash Gordon cartoon. I'm all in. Let's do it. Okay, before we get to Final Judgment, D, I just want to throw in a couple of tidbits that I found really interesting. Okay. Okay, here's a couple of things for you from Highlander. Okay. The climax takes place on top of the Silver Cup Studios building. It was originally supposed to take place on top of the Statue of Liberty. Mm, X-Men. Yeah. Also, according to the cast and crew, anytime they were in Scotland, mm-hmm. good chance Sean Connery was drunk. <laughs> <laughs> he was only there for a week, and they were... <laughs> Seven days, and he couldn't lay off the sauce. Either Scotland or Wales. <laughs> Apparently, Sean Connery used to gather everyone around for like these meetings during the day and explain to them what was going wrong with the movie. <laughs> <laughs> I'll tell you what, the scene where the Kurgan actually kills Ramirez, Ramirez, he kicks in the door at the castle. The rocks look styrofoam-ish. Balsa wood door. (laughs) But we're willing to forgive the practical effects. Yes. But when Clancy Brown came through that door, he swung his sword too low. He took out the candelabra on the table. Oh, yeah. And almost took out Sean Connery. Connery was pissed. Yes. And walked off the set and said, I'm out of here. Right. I'm not going to get killed for this movie. Right. And Clancy Brown was like, oh, man, he felt really terrible and apologized. And they came back and did it again. But it was was a bad deal there for a little bit. So, you know, the scene that that they're sitting on the stairway, like that uh, Ramirez and McLeod are sitting on the stairway talking. Yes. They were sitting on the exact part of the stairway that would later fall away. Okay. And so they're literally sitting on something that's being held up with pins. <laughs> Golly. I think it had to improve the intensity of that scene that they're, that they're just like, this could give way any second and we could fall to our deaths. <laughs> <laughs> I also heard at the end of Highlander, like once you claim the prize, yeah, that it like released a dragon that you had to defeat. Like there's this other challenge, right? Like, oh, wow. take that dude's head, and then all of a sudden, boom, there's a dragon that shows Sounds up. Sounds like Super Mario Brothers. <laughs> <laughs> One of the things that I was just going to mention, this is just a side note, this is not a tidbit. McCloud falls in love and marries and ages with Heather. And then you flash forward for 500 years, mm-hmm. and he has a little fling with Brenda. You have this love scene. Yep. And then the next, like, it hard cuts to him telling her, I can't get involved. Yeah. Right? Which is what everyone wants to hear. Yeah. Oh, last night was okay, but today we're not involved. <laughs> yeah. It's interesting 
her line to him, which I mean, I don't know how well she really is going to know him at that point, but she talks, she says, most people are afraid to die. You're afraid to live. Right. That's telling about his character. Yeah. He is a guy who, because he has seen the loss of people that he's loved over and over, has decided to hold himself up until all of this is, you know, over. Until the final battle happens, right? Right. Right. Except he may go watch a wrestling match. (laughs) (laughs) You gotta do something in 400 years. Yes. And I mean, of course the guy who has been trained in swordsmanship and other warfare for the last 400 years would be incredibly interested in fake wrestling. <laughs> Are you cool with his hair? I, I, I mean... He's got this funky 80s cut. He, it's in 1986. Even, you can't even call it an 80s cut. It's just uh, like a French guy haircut or something. It's like he went to sports clips. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Flashback to Flash Gordon. Okay. They got to the end scene. They didn't know how to wrap it, right? Oh, right. And yeah. they're standing around improv a $20 yep. million movie. They're like, okay. So Ming uses his ring to disappear. And then what? Like, how do, how do we celebrate this ending? Right. And Sam Jones goes, I got it. I got it. Just film this. And so that giant jump. Yeah. Yeah. It's That's all improv. Right. His idea. So he's got the two best football ideas in the movie. They're great. Right. They worked. Are you ready for final judgment? Let's move into final judgment. Okay. So you've you've segued perfectly on the why I like Highlander better than Flash Gordon. Here we are. Born to be kings. We're the princes of the Okay. I mean, in addition to all of the other imperfections that we've discussed. Flash Gordon is the same guy at the end of the movie that he was at the beginning of the movie. He's a football star. He's a football star whose people are asking autographs from, who's going to fly and save the plane. He's a football star who knocks out the competition in the chamber with the football game. He tackles everyone. And at the end, he's spiking the ball and doing celebration in the end zone. There's no change. There's no movement in his character. So what? So that makes a boring story. Uh, you got to have some sort of transition. Whereas <laughs> in Highlander, you you take a guy who's given up on love, who's hold himself up because he can't let himself love people because it's too hard to watch them die, who decides even before he has won the competition, I'm going to let myself open up again and love someone Again, he falls for another girl, and it is it is her who ends up saving him in the fight. Do you remember? He's about to die. The Kurgan is about to kill him, and she comes in and saves the day. Okay. And then that allows him, once he wins the battle, that allows him to become mortal and to share the love that he had longed for before with Heather share that with her. He has the transition. They're out on the Scottish Highlands living life. You have a transition from the with the character on this one. You have the hero's journey, whereas with Flash Gordon, you have Flash. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. All right. So let me just say, I don't give an F about transition. Okay. <laughs> Flash Gordon is perfect from the moment he shows up. He is a stud football player who is 
a leader and interested in being a great dude. And he brings that humanity to all of Mongo. Okay? Mongo just a pawn in the game of life. <laughs> okay, Flash Gordon, yes, it's goofy. Yes, it's campy. But as our friend Pat Canagolo says, you've got to appreciate the awesomeness. You have the over-the-top Brian Blessed. You have great supporting actors in Max von Sydow and Timothy Dalton. You have the sexiest woman in the universe. You have all this awesomeness. And I, I think you have the perfect fifth grade boy fantasy okay <laughs> you have stud football player shows up saves the universe right. gets the girl yep. defeats the bad guy and not only all that he's honored right prince baron says we owe everything to flash at the end of the movie he's like the greatest guy in the entire universe it's every young boy's fantasy i love highlander too and it's goofy and campy and awesome you love highlander also I love Highlander also. I did not, not love Highlander too. Greg Wyden said that there was a period in the early 90s that he had to change his name to, Hi, I'm Greg Wyden. No, I didn't write Highlander too. <laughs> <laughs> That's awesome. So anyway, Highlander's great. And and I, I love it for what it is. It's just Flash Gordon to me. It's, it's almost the perfect movie. It's so fun. It's absolute full throttle fun. By the way. Depth. <laughs> by the way. According to Brian Blessed, the Queen of England's favorite movie is Flash Gordon. <laughs> yeah, I heard this. <laughs> he met her. He met the Queen of England. And she's like, oh, we love your movie. It's the house. We watch it all the time. Um, could you please say Gordon's lie? He's <laughs> like, Gordon's lie? <laughs> oh, thank you so much. Gordon's lie! <laughs> Let's hear from you guys. Where are you on this? Is it Flash Gordon or is it Highlander? Here we are. Princes of the universe. We are the one, the only one. We are the gods of kingdom come. All right, guys, come back next week. We're going to dive into Dumb and Dumber versus something about Mary. That's going to be interesting. Yes.